0: John chapter 21, where Peter is reinstated. Let's begin at verse 15. They're on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. When they had finished eating, eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. And because of this, the rumor spread among the disciples that this disciple would not die. But Jesus didn't say he wouldn't die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? And this is the disciple who testified to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. And Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So far from John, that if you would just flip over a page to the book of Acts, chapter 1. Just these verses 6 through 8. This is after the resurrection. When they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the the passages of the scripture that we read this morning contain two questions What about him? And is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom? And notice that Jesus had a similar response to both questions. It's none of your business. This is not for you to worry about or even think about. Stop being distracted. Your job is to get on with life and follow me. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, focus, people, focus. Do what you're called to do and quit being distracted. Quit majoring in minors. Being distracted. We're good at that. We're good at being busy with stuff that really is so often none of our business. We're good at majoring in minors. The National Enquirer, case in point. You know that colorful, maybe that dates me, I'm not sure, but you know that colorful tabloid that graces many a checkout line at many a store, is known in majoring in minors and raising all sorts of questions about celebrities and about others that basically are none of our business. But as the old tagline put it, and I'll bet you some of my generation could answer that, inquiring minds want to know, right? Tabloids, programs like E.T., Entertainment Tonight, apps, Twitter accounts keep us up to date on the latest comings and goings of celebrities and sports figures and so forth, and they spend a lot of time asking people questions or digging up incredibly unimportant information which is basically none of our business. What Miley Cyrus or Ariana Grande or Justin Bieber or Lady Gaga or Ed Sheeran or Shawn Mendes or George Clooney or anyone else is thinking or wearing or eating or where they want to live or who they plan to date or marry, really it's none of our business, is it? And yet there's a massive industry built around knowing what celebrities and others are up to. It's worth billions of dollars per year. During a recent interview with a German paper, Taylor Swift was asked if turning 30 is a turning point in her life and if she's ready for her next step in her relationship with her boyfriend, as if anybody cares, Joe Alwyn. This is how she responded. I really don't think men are asked that question when they turn 30, so I'm not going to answer that question now. In other words, basically, it's none of our business. There's probably more important things in life. Besides, who cares what Taylor Swift thinks when she turns 30? Well, after the resurrection, the Apostle Peter, the very one who had denied Jesus three times, was now faced with the risen Lord once again on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was a repeat of a scene almost three years earlier. Three years ago, at that time, when Jesus first started his ministry, he was calling his disciples to himself, and Matthew tells us Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And both Andrew and Peter followed Jesus, but then when things became kind of tense and challenging at the time of Jesus' arrest and death, Peter openly denied knowing Jesus, three times even. Now here they're together again on the Sea of Galilee. The disciples were fishing, Jesus is on the shore. Mind you, now Jesus had risen from the dead, so things were different. And at breakfast, rather than nailing Peter for his denials and stripping him of his task as a fisher of people, Jesus took the time to reinstate him. Three times he asked Peter, do you love me? And the question becomes more personal and special and intense each time he asked it. And Peter was uncomfortable, as you can well imagine, but each time he answered, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus restored him to his calling. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Get on with the task I called you to do, Peter. Rather than catch fish, be a fisher of people for the sake of the kingdom. And then he said, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. And John tells us that Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And the early church tells us that Peter indeed died a martyr's death. Peter, follow me. Now put yourself in Peter's shoes for a moment. That must have been quite the scene, quite something. Restored, forgiven, new marching orders... Or oh a peek into the future, somewhere along the line, he would have to give his life for the Lord. Lord, what about him? What's going to happen to him? What about John? And then Jesus replied, what's that to you? It's none of your business. What happens to him? If, you, if I want him to remain alive until I come again, what's that to you? And then Jesus said it again, what he has said so often to Peter and to all of his disciples, you must follow me. As one writer put it, quote, Jesus is saying, Peter, your hands are already full. Just just keep on following me. Peter, you've had enough trouble doing what I've asked you to do. Peter, you have a full-time job just doing my will. Quit prying Quit trying to find out what's going to happen to John. You be concerned about what's happening to Peter and not what's going to happen to John. Peter, don't be distracted by unimportant things. Don't spend a whole lot of time wondering about what will happen to others. You follow me. You do my will. And then just before he ascended, and this coming Thursday is Ascension Day on the Christian calendar, the Lord Jesus had to once again get his disciples to focus and make them think about what's important and what their task is. When the Lord Jesus was together with his his disciples at one point, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, in the light of what the disciples had heard and experienced as they walked and talked with Jesus for three or so years, that can be seen as quite a logical question. After all, they'd often heard him teach about the kingdom of heaven. Luke 22 And I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Elsewhere, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then they heard Jesus tell Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world, my kingdom is from another place. And Acts 1 verse 3 tells us that Jesus had been very specifically been speaking about the coming kingdom of God for the forty days since the resurrection. And then when the disciples heard Jesus speak about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in verse 5 of Acts 1, and when they thought about the prophecies of old of the Old Testament from Joel, which often made a close connection between the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the coming of the kingdom, again they concluded that the establishment of the kingdom must be near at hand. And therefore they asked, Is it this time, Lord? Is it now? The question seems logical, and it seems like it was the right moment to ask. But did you note how Jesus responded? There is no commendation on the part of Jesus regarding the question asked. On the contrary, the context would seem to suggest that the disciples were totally out of line with this one, much like Peter was out of line with the ask when he asked about John's future. So why were they out of line? Look at the question again. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? At this time. Those three words are the key problem to the question. The question was not if the kingdom would be restored. That was a given fact. But they wanted to know when it was going to be restored to Israel. Tell us when. Is this the time? And we know that these are the problem words because these are precisely the words Jesus responded to in the second part of verse 7. It's not for you to know the dates and the times the Father has set by his own authority. Wait on the Lord. This was the wrong question. Because they were asking something that was none of their, their business. In fact, the original language puts this in such a way that it's clear that God the Father has set by his own authority, divine authority the timetable for all the events surrounding the second coming of Christ to the earth. No one else can know that timetable. It's his and his alone. Disciples, nonetheless, ask the question, When? The when question is a distracting question, a majoring in minors sort of question. And yet that's the kind of questions we ask all the time. When? It's almost like you're in a car. You know. Are we there yet? All down through history, people have been distracted and much money and time has been spent reading the signs of the times and trying to figure out from the scriptures, even using mathematical equations, and they're quite involved as to when exactly Jesus is coming again. It began in New Testament times. The Thessalonians seemed to spend an inordinate amount of time asking the question as to whether Jesus, when Jesus would return, and they were known to have quit their work and actually sat and waited for Jesus to return. They were distracted by the question. And then the Apostle Paul tells them to get on with their life, to get on with the task the Lord had given them to do. As the calendar was counting down to the year A.D. 1000, it was reported that during December of the year 999, everyone was on their best behavior. Worldly goods were sold and given to the poor, swarms of pilgrims headed east to meet the Lord at Jerusalem, buildings went unrepaired, crops were left unplanted, criminals were set free from jail. But nothing happened. Eight hundred years later, a man by the name of William Miller founded an end times movement that was so prominent that it received its own name, Millerism. And from his studies of the Bible, Miller determined that the second coming would happen somewhere between 1843 and 1844, and a spectacular meteor shower in 1833 apparently gave the movement a good push forward. The build-up continued. Until March 21, 1844, when Miller's one-year timetable ran out. Then some other followers set another date of October 22, 19, or 1844. That also failed and the whole business collapsed. Jehovah's witnesses have been busy setting times, setting dates. They predicted the return of Christ in 1914, then 1918, then 1920. 1925, the 1925, then 1941, then 1975, then 1994. In 1995, they gave up predicting. And then who of us who are somewhat older can forget the hysteria that filled the air as the year 2000 approached? Along with that Y2K virus that was to hit every computer on the planet, the rhetoric about Jesus' return was loud and endless the names of the people and the organizations that called for the return of Christ and the, at the turn of the century is too long to be listed i remember it well what a waste of money and what a waste of time and energy harold camping and the radio family radio in the united states declare that may 21 2011 was going to be the judgment day blow the trumpet Warn the nation was written on the sides of brand new vehicles that went all over the United States. May 21 came and went, and the following day, and I have a picture of this, the following day there was a billboard with the statement, That was awkward, <laughs> written on it. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Be my witnesses. Get on with the task that I have called you to do. Now while Jesus' answers to both questions called for the disciples to focus and to involve themselves on important kingdom things, Jesus' answer to both questions is also a lesson in humility. Inquiring minds want to know a lot of things, but there are certain things about this world and about life that we simply can't know because they belong to God. Deuteronomy 29 reminds us the secret things belong to the Lord our God, and so it takes a certain amount of humility to be able to say, I don't know. I don't know why so-and-so had to die. I don't know why there are so many heartaches for some particular family. I don't know when Jesus will come again. So many things in this world that we simply do not know. So let's have the humility to be honest and to say, I don't know and leave it with the Lord. And secondly, while we may perhaps be impatient with many things, we're called upon to wait on the Lord, as we just sang, to put our hope in the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the very One sitting on the throne, oh, not the great iron throne, but the throne of the universe. And no dragon can destroy that. The Lord is working out the plan of salvation to perfection. God's timetable may not be the same as ours, but the Lord, in the end, the Lord will take care of everything. And thirdly, Jesus' answer taught his disciples about being content with what they do know. As one writer put it, quote, contentment comes when you realize that you have everything that you need right now. You don't need anything else. If you needed anything else, God would give it to you. Then he goes so far as to say the fact that you don't have it must mean that you don't need it. But you can rest assured that if you need something else tomorrow, he'll be pleased to give it to you. Jesus said as much in Matthew 6. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. And finally, we're not on our own as we wait or as we live day by day. Jesus told his disciples to wait on him. Acts 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As one writer put it, quote, in other words, our job, our job is to tell the world about Jesus. His job is to come back at the right time, a job that he will fulfill. This is a great truth for everyone who wants to know God's will for the future. Do what you know to be God's will today, and tomorrow will take care of itself. If we could ever grasp this, this principle, he says, it would save us from hours and hours of needless worry over the future. It would also keep us focused on our present duties, which is where God's will must always begin. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel Lord, when and how will I die? And and, and by the way, what about him or what about her? Well, there's so many things that distract us in life from doing what the Lord calls us to do. Focus, people. Focus. Wait on the Lord until the kingdom, until the king returns, whether soon or far away. Our job is really quite simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Follow Jesus. Don't be distracted. Live for Him. To Him be the glory. Amen. Father in heaven, You call us to follow you and to live for you and to not be distracted. But there's so many things in this world that distract us, so many things that keep us from reading the Bible, that keep us from prayer, that keep us from worship, that keep us from gathering with your people, so much so that we're actually tired at times. And then there's all those questions that we ask about things that really are none of our business. So our prayer is, O Lord, that you, through the working of your Holy Spirit, would focus us, focus our hearts, our minds, our lives, our souls on the one who sits upon the throne and live for him to the honor and the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.